Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. When you are a power of attorney, when you're trying to get information which is vital, mainstream global banks, their frontline staff aren't trained appropriately, are given wrong information, and then consequence is just an absolute disaster for the families involved. Lasting powers of attorney are just are not just a convenience. They they are powerful documents uh, that give people big powers over life decisions and their money. Today's episode is on power of attorney, the vital legal safeguard authorizing someone you trust to look after your affairs if you're no longer able to do it yourself. Although a power of attorney can be a lifeline to families, our research has found registration is still low and it's also frequently misunderstood, even by the financial institutions that are supposed to help you register them. Now for this episode, I'll be passing you into the hands of witch money journalist Charlotte Gifford for her investigation into why it's still so difficult to get power of attorney set up. We'll talk about how banks make the process harder through lack of knowledge about the legal safety net. And we'll also tell the story of one family who lost almost £300,000 in four months after Santander failed to reinstate an attorney after removing them from a vulnerable person's account. And finally, to round off, Charlotte will be chatting to our witch legal solicitor, James Buchan, who will be offering practical tips to help guide you through this complicated process and get your own power of attorney successfully. Due to the coronavirus outbreak, many of our staff are working from home. This is impacting response times in our contact centre and processing lasting powers of attorney applications. If you've already sent a lasting power of attorney application to us, Please wait at least 20 weeks before you contact us to check on progress. We are working hard to maintain our services and ask that you are patient with our staff during this time, as they may not be able to answer all of your questions. If you've tried to set up a power of attorney in the last few months, you might be familiar with this recorded message that plays when you ring the Office of the Public Guardian, or OPG, the public body responsible for registering them. Many UK government services went into meltdown during the pandemic, and the OPG was no exception. There was a 25% drop in power of attorney registrations last year, as the OPG, which is heavily paper-reliant, struggled to manage the wave of applications while most of its staff worked from home. For thousands of UK families, the delays caused a huge amount of stress. That's because power of attorney can be a vital safety net for vulnerable people. 
My name is Cherie Green. I'm a private client solicitor and we specialise in mental health and mental capacity issues at Greenchurch Legal in Stoke-on-Trent. We all hope that we will get to the end of our lives cognitively intact. Experience tells us that this isn't always the case and life can be very unpredictable. So essentially, you're putting in place a tool that will work for you if at some point in the future, you lack the ability to make your own decisions. And those decisions could be for uh, your health and welfare, where you will live, what kind of care or treatment you'll receive, or they could be financial or property related decisions. The attorney can have incredibly wide powers. The attorney could potentially do almost anything that the donor, the person making the power of attorney, could do for themselves. So it can be opening and closing bank accounts, encashing investments, selling property, uh, you name it. If it involves moving money in some form, your attorney can potentially do that for you. I've also come across cases where, you know, very young people, something happens as a road traffic accident and, you know, a young man runs his own business. He is um, not able to make decisions, sustained a brain injury. And then you can find that uh, spouse or partner or business partners are struggling then because the financial affairs of this person are frozen. Uh, nobody's got authority to step in and make decisions. If you don't set up a power of attorney and something happens to you, your finances will effectively be frozen, potentially leaving your family in a desperate situation. So if it's so important, why don't more people have it? Only 15% of people in the UK have given someone else power of attorney over their affairs, according to a survey of 2,000 people that we ran in November 2021. What people often do is is put it off um, because it's one of those jobs rather like making a will that people would rather not think about but will get around to at some point. That's the thing about power of attorney. You have to set it up while you still have capacity. After that, it's too late. But a lot of people don't know this. In our survey, 77% of people thought you could set it up at any time in your life. And 70% of people said they were healthy and therefore didn't need one. If you do leave it too late, your only remaining option is to apply for a deputyship with the Court of Protection, widely considered to be a much more painful route. Having a power of attorney is empowering in that it's the person that you choose yourself who's going to make decisions for you. Uh, and it's all about trust. You have to trust your attorneys absolutely. If you've not made a lasting power of attorney and, and you lose capacity, uh, and typically that can be an older person who's moved into a care home, who never made a power of attorney, they've lost capacity, they may have a house to sell, uh, another bank accounts to manage, care fees may need to be paid. In that situation, somebody is likely to make an application to the court for a court deputy. And of course, at that point, it's not necessarily the person appointed as deputy that you would choose for yourself. I mean, it can be. Very often, it is a family member that's appointed. 
but not necessarily. It's the court's decision as to who is appointed. Then attorneys can generally work relatively unsupervised. They should always keep accounts, keep records in case they're asked to produce them. But a court deputy is actively supervised by the Office of the Public Guardian. In fact, um, £320 is usually taken from the person's money each year as a supervision fee by the Public Guardian's office. And and then, you know, the, the deputy has to produce accounts each year that show how each penny in and each penny out have been applied on behalf of that person. So it's a much more structured um, process. And because it's structured, because you've got um, these supervision fees, it it can be more costly, Uh, certainly more onerous for a deputy, I would say, than for an attorney in managing a person's money. Leaving it up to the court also increases the risk of family disputes. You can imagine that in some family situations where there are disagreements, where there is discord, distrust perhaps, you can find um, a sibling perhaps objecting to the application made by their brother or sister and then it can become quite long-winded and convoluted at court as the court tries to to work out, well, what are the objections here? Is this person an appropriate person? Is there going to be trust within the family? Or if we do appoint this person as deputy, are they consistently going to be met by questioning and querying by other family members? Is it going to be practically workable? I've had cases where, you know, one family member feels that the property should be sold to pay for care fees. Another family member feels that perhaps dad will return to the home one day and so the property should be kept. You know, and there are all sorts of um, family arguments find their way into the court of protection uh, as exist in, in every family that you may come across. So clearly you could save your family a lot of pain by setting up a power of attorney now. But unfortunately, registering one can be a huge ordeal in itself. I've investigated power of attorney a number of times now, and it's obvious the system for registering one can be a minefield for people. Here's Melinda Giles from the Law Society to explain why the OPG's outmoded way of working causes problems for would-be attorneys again and again. There are long delays in registering a power of attorney, both because of the current process and the mechanics behind it, the manpower, the IT systems, but also because what has to be done involves a notice period where you give people the opportunity to object, etc. So it's quite a long drawn out process. And for people trying to register a lasting power of attorney quickly, it takes longer than they would like. And as we touched upon earlier, lockdown only made these delays worse. During the pandemic, the average time it takes for the OPG to register a power of attorney doubled from 10 weeks to 20. I spoke to one person who rang up the OPG to ask for an update on her application, only to be told she was 55th in the phone queue. The delays dragged on for months and she began to worry that her mum might actually pass away before it was registered. 
To make matters worse, when the OPG finally got back to her after months of waiting, her application was rejected. This isn't uncommon, power of attorney forms are pretty complicated and with good reason, given the level of control you're handing over to somebody else, but waiting so long to have your application rejected can be extremely stressful. So you may find that, you know, you send off your lasting power of attorney to be registered and at the moment you you wait 20 plus weeks for it to come back and you may find it, it comes back rejected because, you know, the document hasn't been completed correctly. For the OPG, the delays in lockdown were a wake-up call. It told which it had allocated more staff to speed up applications and that it expected waiting times to decrease over the coming months. But it was clear that more fundamental change was needed. So last year, it launched a 12-week consultation on modernising LPAs, inviting members of the public and the industry to put forward ideas for improving the registration process. Well, the OPG are calling it part of their modernisation programme and digitalisation. So we understand that they are hoping to achieve two things, really. One is to simplify and speed up the process in order to save costs, but also to make it more accessible. But it's not just the OPG that needs to make changes. Once your LPA has been set up, you then need to register it with the relevant financial institutions. Time and time again, which has found that companies have an appallingly bad understanding of powers of attorney and frequently make mistakes while registering them. When we asked 8,000 attorneys last year about their experiences registering an LPA with a bank or an insurance company, 60% of people say they experienced a lack of knowledge among staff, while 28% faced delays. The worst financial institutions to deal with were banks, with 31% of LPA holders saying they were the most difficult to register with. Part of the problem is that over the years, banks have cut back their internal expertise when it comes to power of attorney, as which his own James Buchan, who we'll be speaking to later, explains. It is difficult and it can be quite stressful at times when you're trying to do the same thing but you're having to do it for 5, 10 or 15 or however many it might be. Um, So it's quite complex. So I mean it used to be back in the day it was generally most banks had kind of departments that would deal with this sort of thing but we've found over the years that those departments have either gone or they've merged into different ones. So the starting place tends to be now the branch um, or or to phone up and, and kind of speak to the general inquiry line with the bank's To make things even more complicated, the process for registering and using powers of attorney varies depending on the bank that you're dealing with. Each bank has its own way of dealing, and financial institution way of dealing with powers of attorney. I think we probably all agreed that we would like it to be more of an education piece so that we can explain where the risks are and where they're they're not because some banks are excellent at processing powers of attorney once they've been registered and others are not so good at doing so. Nationwide doesn't let attorneys use telephone or app banking services for example while Tesco Bank doesn't give attorneys access to online banking. Wrestling with a bank just so you can be recognised as an attorney isn't just hugely stressful and time-consuming. If it goes wrong, there can be serious financial consequences. We spoke to one person who we'll call John, who set up a power of attorney for his son last year. 
John's son, who's 28, has paranoid schizophrenia. He's extremely vulnerable and needs help managing his finances. John set up the power of attorney with Santander and told Santander that his son had schizophrenia, and even his son actually contacted the bank under his own volition, making it clear that he was extremely unwell. I've seen some of the messages myself, and they're really worrying. It's impossible not to read these messages and understand that this is someone who's really vulnerable. But despite this, Santander allowed the son to remove John as power of attorney and then failed to block a vast number of transactions on his account. And the consequences for the family were devastating. But the fact that they knew he was schizophrenic, had been in hospital, was extremely ill. They used no cross-referencing, used no due diligence, and they just let him remove his safeguard, me, from the account. And then in in the space of four months after this, when he's had sole access to the account, they've allowed him to spend just under £300,000 when he's been in hospital, when he was sectioned, when he was incapacitated. When we reached out to Santander, they said, we appreciate this is a very difficult situation and have been in contact with the customer's father to investigate the issues that he's raised. The continuing power of attorney was set up correctly on 19th of March 2021. However, simply registering a continuing power of attorney does not automatically stop a customer from accessing their account or managing their own finances. We would only limit a customer's account access where we have been notified that they have lost mental capacity, which we received from the customer's father on 31st of August 2021. The bank admits there was then a delay of three months before John's CPA was reinstated, during which time his son was able to keep spending his life savings. Santander has said that they will reimburse John for the amount lost between August and November, but John doesn't think that's good enough. Significantly, the money that was spent from August is about £14,000. The money spent from May until August was over £280,000. So they're happy to redress the £14,000, but the £290,000 is just in thin air gone. John says that while trying to get the CPA reinstated, he was frequently given incorrect advice by Santander. Now, I phoned Santander from May um, because I wasn't getting any statements. I wasn't, uh, um, I couldn't get through to the accounts because there was no power of attorney registered uh, because it had been removed. And uh, I was told successive times that I need a court of protection uh, as my son is incapacitated. Uh, now, first of all, the continuous combined power of attorney includes incapacity. I can still... Um, take over the accounts if my son is incapacitated. The purpose of a combined continuous power attorney is to stop me from having to go through the courts when that person does become incapacitated. Um, so I was told several times that I needed a court protection and to, to seek a lawyer. Uh, at this time, uh, I was just new to being an attorney. I wasn't sure what the actual procedures were, but I would have expected Santander, particularly their, their POA specialist team, who told me um, this information, I would expect them to have been able to tell me the correct information, um, which clearly wasn't. When dealing with vulnerable customers, it's important to monitor the account. And you know a customer is vulnerable if they have a, if they've discussed a mental health condition or another condition. Once again, I know I've said it many times, but they knew Darren was schizophrenic. Um, they knew he was vulnerable, and they've not monitored the account. They've 
there's been several points where there should have been put vulnerability alerts on that account, which haven't been put on. And what they've allowed is a schizophrenic, incapacitated individual to spend £300,000 in four months. John's case is extremely upsetting and shows that Banks' treatment of power of attorney is simply not good enough right now. But it also demonstrates how important these legal safeguards are and how important it is that they're set up properly. With the OPG's consultation, could the UK's power of attorney system be about to improve for the better or will it just introduce new problems? We entirely agree that the current process is not satisfactory, but we are really concerned um, that there needs to be safeguards in place for the most vulnerable. Uh, A lasting power of attorney is such a powerful tool. If you consider that by making a power of attorney, you give another person the power to deal with all your finances and property and separately potentially your health and welfare decisions at a time when you are at your most vulnerable because you have no capacity to deal with them yourself. So it's not something that should be done lightly. Our research shows that the power of attorney system in the UK is in desperate need of a shake-up. Until then, the best thing you can do is seek guidance to try and make the registration process go as smoothly as possible. Cherie's advice is to make sure that you choose the right person when deciding who's going to be your attorney. The most important decision you make, and this is not an administrative point, but the most important decision you make is the choice of your attorney because you are putting power into their hands, which is literally life-changing. You know, decisions about selling your property, where you will live, uh, decisions about payment for the care and support that you may need and where you should have that care and support. Once you are confident you have attorneys that you trust absolutely, then As a solicitor, of course, I would say take some advice because of the um, importance of a lasting power of attorney and the impact it may have on you. Luckily, power of attorney is an area where which has fantastic internal expertise. So I asked James Buchan, a solicitor here at which, for some top tips on how to get your power of attorney application approved by the OPG and how to make the whole registration process easier on your family. Hi everybody, I'm James Buchan. I'm a solicitor that uh, works within Witch uh, Legal uh, and I also uh, manage and oversee Witch Wills, which is our online uh, will writing and lasting power of attorney business. A lot of Witch members will ring in with questions for you about power of attorney and how it all works. Um, What sort of issues do you see people running into a lot of the time? There's kind of three strands really. So obviously people have completed their document they submit it to the office of the public guardian for registration and then you get three issues so you it tends to fall into one of three categories so there's an error in something that you've done on the actual form itself Um, so whether that's some sort of mistake in a in a name or something on those lines or it could be that you've put something in the instructions or the preferences section which the opg doesn't quite like Um, 
but the main reason that, that the OPG seem to uh, reject uh, submitted documents or they will, will raise a query is in the actual um, the signing of the documents and the execution because you have to make sure you follow it in a strict order. So that tends to be the main reason as to, to why they will, will send them back and raise a query. And so that's mainly just getting signatures from witnesses um, yeah. and getting them in the right order, as you say. That's right. Yeah, because obviously, with the, you know, guidance is provided on the form itself. And there's really good guidance as well on the Office of the Public Guardian's website about how lasting powers of attorney are to be executed. And there's quite a strict order. It has to be the donor uh, and then the certificate provider uh, and then the attorneys. And a lot of the time people will get them in the wrong order. So they'll send the document out to the attorneys first and then they'll, you know, they'll do it and then the certificate provider will do it um, and so you, you tend to find the OPG will then that seems to be the main area um, of where documents get rejected. And I guess the fact that people sometimes fall into that trap maybe reflects this mentality that you've got to just pass the OPG's kind of checks and then it's all yeah. sorted. but I guess as we see time and time again that's very much not the case like it yes like so many problems further down the line and it is with banks i think the thing to remember as well is it's you know power of attorney is a powerful document and you are giving somebody the authority to do everything that you can do in relation to your finances and so there is a temptation with restrictions to make it really restrictive so people can't do anything and that can be really problematic and, and like you just said when it comes to the document kind of the practical side of i've got past the, the opg and now my attorneys are going to start using this document a common error is is spelling errors and you would think oh it's just as you know i've spelt somebody's name wrong that's not going to be that much of a problem but if you've sent a document to the opg appointing your attorney so use my name for example james buchan but you've you've spelt it j m a yes you've got the m and the a mixed up that would probably pass the opg they probably wouldn't reject that or raise an, a query on it um but obviously if I, you know the documents then registered and i then went to the bank with the power of attorney to, to use, they the, the bank would say, well, I'm sorry, your ID doesn't match the name that's on the form. And on that point with registering with banks, um, I know yeah. that the process can be really different depending on the institution that you're dealing with, which obviously makes it that much more confusing. But what are some of the sort of top line ways in which the process can be different? Like I know that one of them is to do with copies of documents, right? And that some will accept. That's right, yeah. But an original is what others would ask for. They all have their own internal processes. So you may find you go down to the bank on the high street with the document and they will register it there and then they'll take a copy and they'll go wherever it needs to go and it's all fine it may be that you have to send the document away somewhere uh, you know it may be that they don't accept documents and they, and they do this online process so it is difficult and it can be quite stressful at times when you're trying to do the same thing but you're having to do it for 5 10 or 15 or however many it might be um, so it's quite complex so i mean it, it used to be back in the day it was generally most banks had kind of departments that would deal with this sort of thing but we've found over the years that those departments have either gone or they've merged into different ones so the starting place tends to be now the branch um, or or to phone up and, and kind of speak to the general inquiry line with the banks um, but yeah unfortunately there isn't a uniform process for them all I think that there is guidance given to the banks uh, for them to kind of 
try and, and all act in the same way, but there isn't a, there's no legislation which forces them to do that. So unfortunately, it is just a case of each individual organisation and, and dealing with them on an individual basis. Is there anything you can do if, um, if somebody's got a lasting power of attorney for you? Is there anything you can do kind of, you know, way ahead before they're having to go through this whole process to kind of make it easier for them? What would you recommend? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the worst thing that you can do is make a power of attorney and then stick it in a drawer and totally forget all about it. And then something happens and your attorneys, A, they can't find it. um, And B, they've absolutely no idea what your kind of, if it's a financial power of attorney, for example, what your assets might be, or if it's a health power of attorney, what your wishes might be. Um, So I would always uh, say, um, you don't have to provide your attorneys with a copy of the document straight away um, because, you know, whilst you're able to make your own decisions, that's absolutely fine. They don't need to have it. Um, but what I would say is make them aware of where the document is, the original. Uh, and my advice would be to write a letter kind of alongside it, which kind of gives all the details of, you know, where you have bank accounts or investments or who the gas accounts with and all, all those account numbers and all those sorts of things. Um because that makes it so much easier for your attorneys who most of them have day jobs and are working and are, you know, trying to run their own homes uh, to then have to, in effect, pick up somebody else's life and to try and deal with that is a very, very, very stressful job. Thank you so much to Charlotte and James for coming on the show today. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. The usual housekeeping before you head off, please do hit follow and subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a review and rating wherever you're listening. And for more money-saving news and advice, find our rising cost of living hub online at witch.co.uk forward slash save money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced by Charlotte Gifford and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman. 